Yes, here we are, another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. If you're enjoying the show, drop a review wherever you're listening, and please share out on the socials. It makes a huge difference. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. All right, today I am speaking with Julian, who is on a quest to identify, interview, and collaboratively empower the key players in the regenerative movement. His podcast, Green Planet, Blue Planet, demonstrates what it takes for leaders and visionary creators to connect with purpose, create for self, others, and the environment. Really excited to have you, man. Welcome to the show. Yes, so am I. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, I, I mean, just doing the research for this, I, I know there's a really cool link here with just everything going on in the world and mindfulness and mental fitness and all of that. So you're really a perfect guest to tie these things together. So I'm excited, um, but I am going to start it off with a little bit more of a loaded question with you. And it's just, frankly, who are you? Who are you as a person? That's a, that's a fun question to start with. Who am I as a person? Well, so how far do I have to go back? I was born in 1987. We just talked about this online. Yeah. Um, you know, dating ourselves at this, at this point really, I think, explains quite a bit about us as a person. So I think yeah. when people look at me at the events I go, I go to, they see a very young phase. I'm 32 at this point. But then I, I sometimes remind them that, like, even though you look at a young face, like, I'm part of the older half of the population of this planet. Because get, get this, I think 50% of the world's population, uh, World Economic Forum stat, um, are 27 years and younger. So who am I? Mm. Um, I'm part of the older half of this planet's population. And I'm, you know, I, I grew up without technology being um, omnipresent, uh, which, which also dates back to being born in 1987. And so I feel like a connection to nature and being not just out in nature or playing in nature, but like seeing ourselves as one with nature is essential for for us as a species, for me as an individual, for, for many people and their mental health, their, their performance, and then ultimately for the regenerative movement that, that you just kind of so kindly introduced me um, through, because this is what I'm giving an ear to in my podcast, in my coaching, in, my, in the workshops I lead, is who on this planet is actually creating from this consciousness of, of regenerating um, much rather than sustaining something yeah. else. So maybe, maybe that's a good start to, to share about who I am. Yeah, that's great. No, it, it's perfect. I love it. Um, just speaking of nature, I mean, when we first connected, you mentioned that, I mean, you, you definitely travel quite a bit just given the, the work that you're doing. Um, but I remember you mentioning that you call home base or a bit of a, almost like a, uh, a sanctuary to come back to um, being Victoria Island here in Canada and in British Columbia. You know, for, for you, how how do you mix in? Because you do travel quite a bit. So when you're not in that that location, how do you mix in the nature and how do you kind of stay grounded in that sense? Yeah, that's a really good question. How do you how do you find time um, for forest bathing or like extended time in nature? Yeah, so Vancouver Island, Victoria is the city. Um, is oh, sorry. Home? Yes. No, no worries. Uh, um, I feel like when, when North America got colonized, they ran out of names. And so they named it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah. starting on the east coast with with york new york right um, yeah no man i think vancouver island taught me those basics to be connected 
deeply and, and every day. And I spend about six to eight months a year there. Um, but when I'm traveling, so recently I was in Sao Paulo, which, you know, is like a mega city, 25 plus million people, um, so much concrete. Hmm. In Sao Paulo, luckily, you have like Atlantic forest. Um, it's, it's, it's bordering towards the ocean. So you have like quite a bit of um, native forest in the city, but still you feel like you're in a concrete jungle. And so in places like that, I make it, I make it a point to, to do one of two things, actually. And uh, one is to get my shoes off and be barefoot and find a piece of dirt or a piece of ground somewhere that, that feels inviting to stand in. I mean, even better if it's the ocean water or like a, a, a lake or a pond, but sure. even in a park, you know, like getting this, this, this experience of connecting the soles of your feet to the planet actually changes something in our, um, in our electromagnetic uh, kind of state in the body, right? And so what, what happens is the nervous system slows down. Um, there, there is a, a, for me, very tactile, very observable, um, not just emotional, but also like energetic connection with the earth underneath me. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is even more um, tree hugging, loving, which is like literally either hug a tree or just touch a tree. Like even <laughs> in a city, going next to a tree and just becoming aware of its presence, becoming aware maybe of its age, right? Sometimes when we're next to trees, they are um, significantly older than ourselves or even maybe than than our grandparents. And so becoming aware that this tree might have witnessed many moments pass by. And so this one fast moment in which you pull out your cell phone and hit like on Instagram or drink an espresso, um, it's just a blip for that tree. And so that's another way of how I connect. I like, I, I slow down to be on that timeline that, that maybe is, is more natural than, than what my brain can, can make up. I love that. Those are two really, really great ways to to pause. And I, I resonate with both. I mean, just personally speaking, living in Toronto the last few years, um, I've, I've struggled with that kind of concrete jungle feeling as well. And, and you know, it, the, the hardest for me is in the morning, I'll go to the gym and I come out of the gym usually feeling really great, but you're, you know, walking literally into just pure concrete, essentially. Um, so I like, I mean, right now it's a bit cold to do the barefoot, but maybe not actually. It's probably a good challenge um, to really connect with the, with the earth. Um, and then on the, on the front with the trees, like I've really noticed that I've got a, a three and a half year old and we're, you know, we're trying to ex- take a lot of walks in nature and explain things. And I remember catching ourselves like explaining just the fact that this tree is living you forget about these things as you as you get older when you're just not paying attention. So I think it's a great, great mindful way to get back to just like the core principles of, of living, right? Yeah, I mean, the living earth is something that, you know, scientifically, I, I guess humanity has, has taken us quite a while to understand that this planet and everything on this planet is alive. Um, again, science doesn't even fully know how to explain consciousness at this point still. Yeah. But but that's 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 like a a zoom out on the perspective of our busy lives. I think one, one more kind of um, tip or trick that is very grounded and grounding, you know, cause once we start talking about like um, nature being alive and us being alive as nature, it gets quite cosmic or planetary in, in at least mm-hmm. my philosophy. But one more like really pragmatic um, tip is when you travel a lot and, and you mentioned it, that that's part of my life. 
And the phenomena of jet lag kicks in or the phenomena of like being tired and like not knowing what time of the day it is and being just like, oh, wow, I'm overwhelmed. I just flew here for 20 hours. The best way to ground um, for me, and, and I've heard many people refer, refer to this, is, um, yeah, as I said, like getting your feet naked, being barefoot, but actually immersing them into water. So if you travel to somewhere where there is an ocean, like just putting your feet into the sand and letting the water um, kind of flow around it is one of the best ways, definitely, to get your biorhythm to arrive in the time zone you're actually in. And so when we get in touch with this alive part of nature or, or, or this planet within the cosmos, um, magic happens. And I think that magic is really, uh, it's 2020 now. It's really worth looking at that a little longer and understanding it even deeper. It's just, I'm really hopeful or excited with the conversations that are taking place, right? Around connecting with the earth and being more conscious and, and just essentially for me, the way I look at it is, is just helping people slow down and come out of the autopilot, right? And breaking that, that cycle. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, like when you, you mentioned you're, you're really passionate and your work is really centered around, you know, regenerating this whole movement, like when did this start for you or how did it come about in your life? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think, you know, it dates back quite quite a bit in my life. There there are different moments when this this notion of like regenerative culture kind of came came online. I think um, without going too too far back, but the first time when I was an exchange student abroad, this is like almost twenty years ago now. And um, actually, I went I went to to Paraguay. I grew up in Germany, which you might be able to hear based on my accent. And coming back from Paraguay to Germany, that was a cultural shock. Um, actually, going back to my home country was the bigger cultural shock. And I realized there's something about the way we're creating this industrialized economic growth in, in countries like the United States or Canada or Germany that wasn't present in Paraguay, but that, that didn't feel, um, I guess, balanced is the easiest way to put it. It didn't feel balanced. It didn't feel grounded in well-being. It didn't feel like it's actually progress that will work for everyone. Sure. And so... That's kind of when that notion first came came alive and came online. And back then, I remember there was a lot of pushback whenever I started this kind of conversation, especially with the older generations of like, well, it's just not how the world works. And so yeah. over the last 20 years, um, with climate change and, you know, like um, some like apocalyptic realities and uh, bushfires in Australia or California or even the Amazon, I think humanity has started to wake up to realize that whatever we have created in the last 100 years, um, is it's been what it is, and it's a step forward in many ways of looking at it. And then, and, and our um, technological progress is worth something, but it also comes with a price. And so, I guess that's that's really where that notion uh, happens for me. Is like, um, unless this is a world that works for everyone, and what I mean with that is not that everyone has the same, but what I mean with that is that. Uh, everyone has food, shelter, drinkable water, and and therefore the the ecosystem itself is is being respected as an ecosystem, and us as humanity is is being seen as a part of this ecosystem, and and so our economic uh, ways of of making meaning and sense and uh, creating jobs and business are much more integrated than trying to dominate those natural forces, and I think this consciousness and this way of looking at the at the world um, is becoming a new normal now. Um, basically born out of necessity because we have 
an impeding kind of climate catastrophe at, at hand. And people are talking about it all, all over the world from, uh, you know, Davos in Switzerland to news stations to even, even the biggest skeptics, I think, are at this point realizing that um, if you don't want to call it climate change, then at the very least there is a pollution problem on the planet. And so, yeah, when, right. And it's so there. It, it, that's there. And so when we, <laughs> that that's there. And so when we, when we look into um, the word sustainable, like the sustainable development goals or sustainable um, business practices, I think that's a good start, but, but really what do we want to sustain? What is there to sustain? And And so the, the question for me becomes, what's naturally actually there um, something that, that 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 might not have to sustain but that regenerates like if you look at nature's cycles like death is part of nature and destruction is part of nature so it's not destruction that is that is bad it's just understanding the larger cycles behind it or or, or um, like the way things get reborn as well right in in, yeah. in natural cycle everything is part of like bacteria on this planet let's say you know like the four four seasons in, in the northern hemisphere uh, at the end of fall the mushrooms and bacteria start um, taking over the leaves and covering them and the leaves cover the, the soil and then it's winter and it, everything feels dead for three to four months and then it rebirths right and so there is a natural cycle of things like a regenerative cycle and mm -hmm. i believe um, after having interviewed over 160 people in that field that yeah our economies and our social structures um will be much more adept and much more able to adapt to change and change that needs to happen based on um, climate catastrophe, but also change that can happen based on the desire to innovate. And it's going to be much more adept to that when we are connected to this regenerative notion, when we're part of this regenerative kind of cycle and rhythm. There's, there's so much there I'd like, love to unpack. I mean, w one of the things just being linked to nature and the natural cycles is something that... Uh, I've often thought about and just having interviewed different people as well in this space is just just the notion of like we understand that we require those four seasons um, for everything to go through. But when it comes to our own bodies and our own minds and soul, it's like we want to skip winter all the time. You know, uh, yeah. we want to we want to stay in summer all the time in, in that case. It's an interesting parallel that, that you bring out um, to extend that out to uh, other areas of life as well. It's an interesting parallel, especially because personally I have had entire years that were summer only. And even in the summer only metaphor, you, you have to learn to rest and restore, um, yeah. you know, like in, in the Southern hemisphere and, and even in like the equatorial line, people do siesta quite actively, um, which is like two to three hours after when the sun is the hottest. Uh, even though it's summer all the time, where you where you take it easy, you go into the shade, you maybe hydrate and, and take a nap, you know, and then mm -hmm. later in the afternoon you come back out again. That's basically seasons in a different way. And so I love that sure. you're bringing it to performance and 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 understanding the body because, you know, I guess one of the biggest paradigm changes that we're observing and and kind of leaning in here in our dialogue is is who we used to be a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, um, is not necessarily who we are anymore. And so we've, we've created machines that are a reflection or a mirror of our brain and the capacity to think in yes and no's, rights and wrongs, zeros and ones, 
And those machines can basically work nonstop. Yeah. But we would be wrong to think that our bodies are like those machines. We're, we're much more like a quantum computer. We're, we're quite a bit more complex. And so I think it's time for us to understand that we've created machines, but we're not machines. And so what does this mean? Who are we as human beings? And um, what is required for both the human and also the being to flourish and to thrive? Totally. Well, then it all like just linking back, because I definitely do want to chat about uh, Davos. I know you were recently there and um, there was actually a great, a great line that I saw from the uh, UN Secretary General where he said, we will, we will be destroyed by climate change, not the planet, which yeah. is super, uh, that really hit home for me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's right. That's exactly what, <laughs> what's about to happen. So uh, my question though is, just linking the, I guess, the desire for us to explore a little bit more um, about ourselves and as, as we're evolving as humans and, and how that's really linking with actually helping the planet and working towards um, making this place uh, a better place or, or, or recovering as you, as you use in your language. Do you see, do you see the parallels? Cause I know a bit of the, obviously the type of work that you're involved with. And I love the intersect of those two worlds. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I, I find it fascinating as well. And I think, you know, um, let me address first what, what chronologically makes sense to me there, which is sure. humans a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago, simply had different desires than humans in 2020, right? So even mm. 50 years ago, even in countries like the United States or Canada or Germany, uh, on the more privileged economic scale and, and power scale, um, had desires like um, getting running water and getting electricity to every place, getting a personal car, traveling for the first time, um, maybe having... Um, exotic food that was able to be shipped in and so 50 60 years ago when that was a novelty or that was something to yet be achieved i think um it was just what it was and so we mm -hmm. don't have to go back and try to change this but when we observe this it just makes sense that today that we understand the larger impacts those desires had um things need to change and, and things are changing right and so our um, desire now is, is changing as, as a species. I mean, unless this planet works for everyone, that means every animal, every plant, and every human, in a way that it creates life and is part of larger cycles, we will feel an imbalance. And so when we, I say works for everyone, it means that everyone has um, the responsibility to look at their own health, kind of like you do in an airplane when they tell you put pull down the oxygen mask for yourself first and then mm -hmm. help the child or your neighbor. Mental, uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual health of the individual are definitely going to lead to mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health of the collective. And so that's where kind of the paradox uh, can, can lie. When we look at our modern society, we say, well, but there are still so many needs we have as a collective how can we fix them? Who is the leader to fix this? Who is the company to fix this? But really the paradox is that um, each individual can only start with themselves. And when that happens, this is kind of the point I want, I want to, to, to guide towards. When that happens, we see massive convergences like Davos suddenly becoming 
uh, ever more conscious and bringing up topics in in real time, talking about not just the problems, but also about possible solutions that are paradigm changing. Or we see companies like BlackRock Investment just suddenly announce that they want to um, focus their investments on um, what I would call the double ROI, return on investment, but also ripple of impact of social mm-hmm. change and, and, and kind of green um, initiatives. Love and so that. I think it's, it's our collective and our individual cosmos that are, that are evolving. And, and so new things become normal. Sure. And what, what, just for context, for people that may not know, what is, uh, what's going on in Davos? Yeah. Davos was a, a fun, a fun experience. It was my second time I went there. Okay. Um, you know, this year, 2020, it was just, it just happened in January. Um, about eight to 10,000 people sh- show up at that big summit. Um, this year it felt different simply because also we are at the start of a new decade. And so sure. you could kind of feel two camps or maybe even three camps. You know, there was like um, definitely the more optimistic side of the entire convergence where um, I was actually host- hosting a workshop in, in, in that side of the camp, I would call it um, a, a breath work, a meditation. And we went into a big celebration, which was called the 2030 party. There's actually an article in the New York Times about it too, called The Revolution uh, happens in Davos, where we got a hundred people to visualize what it would feel like, be like, and um, who they would be in the year 2030, looking back onto this decade as if we've already accomplished all of the sustainable development goals. And for an hour, we had people like Rick Doblin from Maps or uh, Ron Guerin, who was just six months in space, um, sharing their perspective on this golden decade in retrospect. That was one of the crazy things that happened in Davos this year, which even two years ago, I don't think Davos was able to host something so visionary, right? Sure. On, on the other side of this whole uh, week-long event, basically, um, was an event, for example, I, I went to called the Green Debate. And the Green Debate was, um, was, was well done. Some, some really great guests on this as well. Um, people can definitely look that up online too. But the Green Debate was much more, um, I would call, I wouldn't call it pessimistic, but like, um, people would probably call themselves more like the realists. And so what was dissected there a lot more was the scientific proof of, um, I hope I can curse on the show, how fucked we are, right? And, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, well, I like looking at the facts and I like understanding the facts and I like dissecting what is real. But then at some point, if I don't have the visionary capacity to see it changing, um, then what's the point about getting pessimistic deeper and deeper and deeper? And so... It was funny to see that there's like a full spectrum of approaches that's really present in, in Davos. Well, I'm glad. I'm again hopeful that there, and, I, and I'm excited that there were those those two different perspectives. Because I feel like the the last one you mentioned, it just feels like more of the same, right? Of like, sure, there there's more information there, and and information like we need to understand. If we don't know, we you know we can't change. But it, it seems like. That, that has been the narrative for years versus what you're describing of like, let's try something a little different here. Um, and this, this is a classic actually journaling exercise that, that I've talked about quite a few times on this show of just future setting. Right. And yeah. you know, what is, you know, what is, what does your life look and feel like in five, 10, 20 years? And it's unbelievable. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but unbelievable, how much of that comes to fruition when you read those back. So something like this on this stage and at a, 
at an event like that, that's, that's held in Davos. I mean, that, that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. It, it felt like a powerful moment within, within the whole week. Um, actually, um, I co-hosted that. I jumped in as the co-host last minute, but I co-hosted it with a friend. Uh, his name is Lucian Tarnowski, who's a young global leader by the World Economic Forum and, um, here in, in San Francisco, where I'm at uh, at the moment of our recording. He runs something called Sivana Foundation. And, and, and the goal okay. of Sivana is to basically create global embassies over the next decade, global embassies that are more like people embassies, right? Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, basically we're at a point of our evolution where I think now that, you know, just having another golden faucet or another car or another house isn't really enough anymore for somebody who is at peak mind, at peak heart and at, at peak soul in that sense, right? If you're able to bring full the full you into the game and you, you're mastering business and you're mastering um, relationships to the degree how you want to live relationships, I think the, the logical consequence is that, that there there will be new normals of how we as a society create um, solutions together. And, and so for that, we need to do new things and we need to let go of some of the old things. So for me personally, discussing more of the problems isn't really part of the big fun, but it was also, I got to admit that it was, it was healthy to be in some of those rooms and realize, all right, this is part of the collective human journey, consciousness, and, and, and just experience we're, we're at in 2020. Some people simply are um, better equipped to to look at the problem for a little longer. And, and let me let me put sure. this in the context. In the 60s, when NASA, um, when Kennedy announced he wanted to send a, a, a person to the moon and NASA was tasked to do so, they were like, what the fuck? Like, how are we ever going to achieve this? And yeah. this is actually like, you know, you, we, you can look this up and, and research it. NASA actually hosted a future party back in the 60s where they celebrated at a party the same thing we celebrated there in Davos, looking back on the decade of the 60s, having achieved putting a man on the moon. And the team that was celebrating there was partially the team that actually made it happen later on. Powerful. Wow. So what was the vibe like, you know, so you had that session, then you also hosted some breath work. Like what were some of the comments or just the feeling that that you were picking up of the people that were attending that as they were leaving? The vibe at Davos is um, if you were to look at it from like just an an observer perspective, it's definitely political and financial. You know, it, it's that's like the two main streams there. Sure. Um, lots of hopeful people are, are coming coming there now. Even two three years ago, that was different. Um, and I, you know, uh, I'm a global shaper, so I'm part of a, a like a youth leadership program in the World Economic Forum, and sometimes I guess the vibe is also a little bit um, uh, maybe pretentious is the right way, the right word. Um, people just, you know, these kind of el- elite gatherings make people feel like they're part of something special. Which I just want to like be really honest about that. It's it's both good, I guess, and also kind of annoying because sure. You know, like the most important thing, I guess, is that we recognize each other as human because understanding that we are part of nature will consequentially will will mean that we are human. And as you are human, what does it mean to be a human? We said earlier, it, it means you're not a machine. So maybe your mind is like a machine and can create all kinds of logical constructs or constructs of who you are in a society because of which title you hold. 
But at the end of the day, if you're not able to relate human to human, um, in, you know, in my in my perspective of the world, you're lacking something. It's it's another level of of mastery to 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 master relationships. And so, on the human level, you can definitely feel this divergence at a place like Davos, where some people just look at your name tag and at your title, and if 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 you're not important on that level, they might disregard you. Um, sure. But it, which which sounds horrible, but it it's gotten better than years ago. It's it's less of this now. And so this part uh, of what I've been observing is like this wave is starting where where humans are humans and we're gathering together to collaborate on on solutions that you know are like the like the new Porsche or Mercedes Benz is is if we actually are instead of you know metaphorically instead of getting a procession or like another status symbol the new mm-hmm. version of that is if if you're part of of big change you know it's it's exciting yeah yeah so then you know with that being said the the individuals that were part of those workshops that you hosted or helped host was was it initially did it feel like people were were arriving there with kind of guards up and you know so you know how did they leave or or i guess i guess that's my question because i would what, what you just mentioned i would have had i've never been to to that event or that forum but i would assume that would be kind of the the vibe given the 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 types of people the that are there in terms of politics uh, just saying it from that perspective so i'm really curious though if i was sitting in that room doing a round of breath work with with you and please do just, you know describe uh, what you walk people through like that vibe in that room because that that really lights me up that's exciting yeah, yeah. well so that was 100 people and the whole week was maybe like eight to ten thousand people, right? So okay, they're probably in other rooms at the same moment. The, the vibe was different, but of course, sure. I mean, this is why I offer breath work, and this is why breath work has become not just a staple in my practice for the last like uh, five plus years, but also something I, I, I do with basically any of my private clients with with any group that I ever work with, because breath gets you into your body it gets you extremely present and it, it gets you to address some of the imbalances in your body and so the, the vibe in that room you know i mean people were able to opt out of the breathwork if they wanted to but the vibe sure. in that room was was like really open yeah well and 100 people too that's because I've, I've i've never done breathwork um with a group larger than probably six um so i can only imagine with you know roughly 100 people going through that rhythm together that's that's got to be pretty powerful yeah so what what happens in those moments is i feel like we you know we're leaving behind the realm of the ego of how good am i looking right now how Mm -hmm. important am i being seen right now by someone else and we're going straight into let me breathe, let me oxygenate, let me get my immune system up, let me get uh, oxygen into my, my bloodstream. And, and so basically, you know, for one, first I, I introduced people to like um, slowing their breath down. So instead of taking a normal amount of breaths, which is like 15 a minute, you slow it down to about three to five a minute. And so when you do this in a room of 100 people and everyone sinks up to it, it's like eradicating your ego for the moment and you're becoming mm-hmm. part of the one, of the big the big breath being breathed, right? And then yeah. from there, we um, in this specific setting, um, we went into a, a bunch of Kriya uh, yoga breath works, which are like with, with your arms up and breath of fire. So you 
you're pumping your diaphragm through in and out breaths. And so what happens in those um, is your your individual energy body gets stimulated. So for, for those who, who are familiar with Kundalini yoga, it's like your Kundalini, your internal energy charge rises. And so um, you're both oxygenating and energizing, but you're also actually synchronizing with the whole big group, which means that with these people, you're allowing yourself to come into coherence. And coherence is a feeling of synchronization between um, you know, the heart and the, the brain really actually like our different intelligence centers along um, the energy meridians but, but that's maybe too much technical terms so like just the heart and the brain there's a whole bunch of research done by um, the heart math institute out of um, california that in the last 20 30 years showed when our heart and our brain are in coherence um, you know a certain kind of social magic happens and so that's what happened in this room and and, and for me it was quite a big honor to offer something like this um, in a space like Davos, I mean, I do this everywhere I go, but but in Switzerland, it, it definitely felt it felt special, you know. Well, of course. I mean, I can only hope. Can you imagine that the whole event would kick off and conclude with something like that? I mean, talk about a way to, you know, you're bringing people, leaders, and you know, all walks of life together from around the world to essentially work on one massive uh, problem, like. It, to me, it just makes sense to kick off the whole thing, put, get everyone in tune, right? Uh, I mean, we're not there yet, maybe, but yeah. it, it'd be wonderful, wonderful. Um, I I want to I, I want to respect your time, so I'm going to start uh, wrapping up a little bit here. But I do want to get into you know obviously breath work. But what are some of the practices for you personally that you have found? helped keep your mind clear and healthy and, and performing at the levels that you need to be able to do your your best work yeah that's a great question and, and a good segue too let me let me just add that you know a hundred percent like if, if we had world leaders or political leaders or even like local communities regularly synchronized through breath different things oh, wow. would be would be possible and and the reason why i wanted to stretch this again is because Breath is, it's free. Breath is not a substance. It's not a psychedelic or, or a mushroom or, or, or something, you know? So it's, you're not venturing into like the imaginary lands like that, but, but ultimately it connects you just like um, a substance would do. And so um, breath has a tremendous power. And so it, this is why I would say breath work almost like beyond meditation is, is what I, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Yeah, so the that. reason why yeah. I say that, and, and, and it's funny that we're synced on that, is, is because meditation is being used as like, oh, you just got to meditate. And, and, you know, I've been meditating for over a decade. I definitely I teach meditation. I highly recommend um, widen the gap, you know? So, like, what I mean with that mm -hmm. is, like, the gap between your active thinking and you sitting in silence. There's, there's a gap, and sometimes the gap is a second. Sometimes the gap is 10 seconds. Sometimes between thinking and talking and being in silence, there's no gap. So definitely people who are on the meditation quest continue to do that. However, you asked about clarity and what meditation does to a lot of people is it confuses them more in the beginning because yeah. they're like, oh, am I doing this wrong? Why do I have all these thoughts? Uh, I, I thought I'm, I'm supposed to get into stillness and maybe have no thoughts. Or I, I thought I had to see a vision of what I'm going to achieve and, and all this can happen in meditation, especially in deeper states. And, and 
often later on. But really, meditation is 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 practicing breath, is practicing observation, right? Is practicing coming into union with yeah. all the different dimensions of you that are going on at any moment. What breath work does, it is basically shortcutting that into the now, because even just deep breath in, holding it at the top, and then breathing out again is changing my energetic state. Instantly. Instantly slowing down the way I speak. It's, it's bringing more oxygen into my bloodstream, right? And so when you do a holotropic style breathing or a Wim Hof style breathing or a Kriya yoga kind of breathing for, for three to five to 10 minutes, um, it energizes, it oxygenates um, your entire system. And very often I, I recommend to beginners of meditation to do a breath sequence first and then sit and meditate to drop in deeper. Yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. I, I get that. I, I mean, I personally still, and, and I've been meditating for for years as well, but it is the practice that I question the most. I'm, I'm often going back and forth on, because I know enough that I know, you know, where the benefits are and the science and all of that. And even some of the ways you described it in terms of, you know, not necessarily hunting for, for uh, the quiet, uh, although, you know, that is a result at times, but more so be observing and, and being in, in the breath, still question it when, and I, but when it comes to breath work, um, that, that moment for anyone that's never done it, there's the, and, and obviously there's different practices, but for me, there's, there's that moment at the end that is the quietest and most still, I, I think I've, I'm, I ever am is r right at the end of that breath work. So I, I mean, I think it's a great suggestion to, if you want to then meditate, um, which typically I think I essentially am, but if they want to go into a longer meditation practice, it's a perfect, perfect way to segue into that. Yeah, I, I agree. This is, this is part of, of, you know, why meditation is often at the end of yoga classes. Um, and I think in terms of private practice, you know, uh, obviously this is something I teach and, and, you know, I, I used to own a studio space like seven years ago on Vancouver Island, actually, um, where we did all mm. kinds of ex ex exploratory um, practices from Qigong to yoga to meditation. But it, when we talk about practice, it's so much more than a singular thing. You know, it's like you have these people who have a gym membership and are like, oh, I wish I'd go to the gym more, but I, I hate it and I'm not losing weight or I'm not gaining weight. And so what I would say to a person like that is like, well, then just quit the gym. It's not for you. Because yeah. if the gym was for you, you'd already be doing it. If meditation is for you, then you'll find a way to access it. But it's about understanding who are you and what does naturally resonate with you? What is coming naturally to you in a way that it, it doesn't just need to give you instant gratification or fun, but it gives you a form of satisfaction of getting to know you better. Yeah. You know, like they could be anything from going to the gym to going for a run, going for a swim. It could be masturbating. It could be um, taking a deep breath. Whatever it is that gets you in touch with you, um, definitely, you know, join, like join, join the masturbation example in there just so people understand <laughs> it's not as dry as it's like as some people approach yoga or, or meditation. It's like get in touch with you and then from there, cultivate the things that that actually 
that are worth cultivating for for you. And so breath work, I guess, is, is just at the beginning of its popularity because it gets people in touch with that part of themselves really quickly. It's like, who is there when in, in my own head, in my own inner dialogue, when I've done all the things that are satisfying or instant gratification? Once I've checked my Instagram 50 times, who, who else is there? You know, and breath work mm -hmm. just gets you right to that spot. And so anyone who wants to, to add this to their, to their practice, um, yeah, either, either Google around you holotropic breathing or, or Kriya yoga, that's K-R-I-Y-A, or, or even Kundalini yoga. Um, check out some Wim Hof videos or, or, or yeah, or check out some of my videos too. I mean, um, I, love, I love doing breath work with people as well because it creates this, this form of clarity. Yeah, it's different. It's uh, yeah, it's a beautiful practice. I'm I'm really happy that it's being discussed more and more um, in in today's world. And I, I love the how you how you framed up just practices in general, just like exercise, right? It's it. it I, I think people realize if you say, okay, go run, go run, it, or go train for a marathon, and you know, it, it's a terrible experience. Well, you don't discredit and say well exercise isn't for me right like that's one yeah, exactly. aspect yeah. of the exercise just like these mental fitness practices and spiritual practice there's so many right um however though right like I, I totally agree with you um however though it's because there are so many the fundamental point is to get in touch with which ones are for you right like yeah. it's it's 2020 it's the age of you be your own guru you just be you but in order for you to be you, you got to also somewhat step out of the muck of what's ordinary, which is uh, waking up, being entertained, be, and consuming all day. Like if you're just consuming your social media and your, 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 your food and purchases every day, you might not doing enough to get in touch with the real you. Yeah. And so someone who is a strong teacher will always have this like allure or glamour or energy around them that is, um, that is interesting or exciting but not because they're the one to idolize. It's because they're the one who are committed to doing something daily, like meditation, like breathing, like singing. Oh my God, singing is such a great one. Or like running mm -hmm. or like, like going to the gym that makes them embody that, that makes them um, unmistakably kind of have that energetic shine to themselves. Love it. I have to get some reflective questions from you because I feel like you've got a ton of them. Uh, you've definitely left a few along the way, but are there any self-reflective questions that you find are circulating in your life on a frequent basis or, you know, that you, you sit back and just think about in, in bigger events in your life? Yeah. I mean, definitely self-reflective questions are, are another big tool in, in this, you know, consciousness journey, I would say. Um, journaling is a massive part of my daily life since 15, 20 years at this point. And it all started out with who am I? Like, why am I here? Right? Like, who am I? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? And so it fundamentally connects you with like, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be Julian? What does it mean mm -hmm. to not be Julian? If, if you know, because, because that's me and you're, you're someone else. So who does it mean? Who, what does it mean to be you? And, and then, why are you here? Like, what's the purpose? What's your mission, your vocation, your drive that you want to share with the world? And so these questions for me, these like self-inquiry questions, sometimes the more basic they are, the better. 
because it's about holding them for a long time and not just answering mm. them in one setting. But holding a question like this for a full six months or a full year and regularly coming back to it, kind of mapping out what is true and what is not true for you, testing it out in real life circumstances, starting a new day job and realizing four months in, hey, you know what? I tried this now, but it's not me. That's a big win if you truly figured out it's not you, right? Um, oh, I love that. I love the idea of holding the question. That's the first time we've ever really talked about that. Um, but that is powerful. Is there a way, like, do you have any, how do you kickstart that for yourself? Are these just things that come up naturally or do you, uh, is there a time in the year where you think about this and say, so, you know, this is the question for, for the year? Do you have anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there, there are so many ways how to kickstart um, any kind of next ripple in your life. And so generally there is an intrinsic and an extrinsic way, right? Like an external or an internal kind of trigger. And so if it's internal, you're, you're your own master. You can, you can start asking questions anytime. You don't have to wait for January 1st. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun to do it on January 1st, just like it's fun <laughs> to um, pray to your angels and guides at 11 11 a.m or on january 11th like if if that works for people you know it's it's fun to do these things on on synchronized moments or when you're like oh my god look the the clock is showing one 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 again i can't believe i see it it's like yeah all that is real right and then some in the sense that you're in charge of what's next and so these internal or intrinsic questions and triggers that's what I mean with getting to know yourself. When, when you understand what is showing up for you on a regular basis and you can observe it, it's like if you're always in the same interaction around, I don't know, um, ordering a drink at Starbucks and your name is spelled wrong every time, then, then you can do something about that. If, if, you, if you feel like your job is not fulfilling and um, you, you feel semi-depressed about it, you can do something about it. But that's, that's an intrinsic beginning, right? An external beginning would be if, if you actively go to meet someone. So you can hire a coach, which I highly recommend. Every professional athlete has a minimum one coach. Every politician, every company leader has minimum one coach. Hire a professional reflection, someone who can help you um, learn about some next steps and tools and, and find someone who really does um, embodies what you're looking for. And the other way to do it is to through a, a spiritual teacher, which, you know, can also be a coach, but it could be a yoga teacher. It could be um, a, a video on YouTube of someone you, you know, you, you think has their, their, their shit together. There's so many ways to do it externally. The reason why I um, differentiated between those two is because ultimately, I believe again, you want to come to the place of observing, okay, am I an internally inspired person or am I an externally triggered person? How much of my life am I um, giving to other people telling me what to do? Mm. Or how much of my life am I giving to controlling every little step? And I would again say on that spectrum too, there isn't a right or wrong, but there is there is a lot of shades of, of different. And um that's both the joy about a diverse species that we are, but also the biggest challenge for us is, is to learn to love ourselves for who we are. And only when you start looking deeply into who you are, 
um, that that form of self-love comes out and and usually um, kind of to, to land there usually that form of self-love is magnetic once you go into inquiry for a prolonged time around anything that gets you in touch with who you are you reach a form of mental health you reach a form of uh, physical well-being of emotional maturity of spiritual clarity and people can just yeah like feel that off you beautifully said um i i can't thank you enough for sharing your insights your experiences obviously and your perspectives um being in this work and and i imagine you know answering these types of questions of of who am i and why am i here uh often as well has has led you to this level of conversation so and and that i'm i'm really grateful and i'm really also hopeful, excited, and grateful that there are people like yourself um, at events in Davos leading, I know, you know, just 100 people out of the 8,000, but that's 100 more people than, you know, there were a few years ago. So a huge thanks for everything that you're putting into this space. Yeah, thank you so much for finding the time for this interview. And it's my pleasure. You know, it's... it's um... I, I guess there's there's many ways to to create a living, but when you find what I call planetary purpose or your raison d'être, like your reason for being, your why you're doing things, um, it it generates a different kind of energetic presence and and momentum. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to share about that. Love it, planetary purpose. I'm going to end on that. That's a great great line. Thank you so much. Thank you again.